Welcome to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. A reminder, we are streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. I'm your host, William Liu. Uh, first off, a huge thanks to Alex Wong and Blake Murphy for hosting the show while I was away for the past two weeks. Got to see uh, a lot of the West Coast of Canada, which is truly, truly very, very beautiful. Um... But yeah, as for the show itself, you know, I thought the depth of the roster at the station was on full display once again. Um, make sure you check out, for me, my two personal favorites, Alex had a sit-down with Jeremy Lin, and uh, Blake did an interview with Nick Nurse day before the draft. I'm uh, not at all jealous that uh, they were able to do that while I was away. Definitely two interviews I would have loved to be part of. But seriously, though, they did a, such a great job um, holding it down. And um, yeah, I'm back right after the night of the draft. Um, it was, I would say not the most like eventful day, uh, uh, in terms of draft day, in terms of just like what was potentially promised, um, with the Raptors, uh, obviously they held the 33rd pick, which when you go into it, you might think, well, that's not that exciting of a draft day. You probably anticipate something real quiet, which is kind of what happened. But of course there was a lot of rumors about the Raptors may potentially move into, uh, the lottery portion of the draft. Obviously there was a lot of speculation with OG. Look, we covered that even two weeks ago when I was here. It was still persistent the night before the draft. And uh, ultimately, OG is still a Raptor, which I think is a very, very good thing. OG is a very highly uh, sought-after player, as we have seen in this period. And, um, you know, if he was worth the seventh pick already, uh, I think that uh, with a little bit more improvements and honestly coming off a healthy season, it could be even more going forward. Uh, But, uh, yeah, ultimately the Raptors ended up taking Christian Coloco out of Arizona, the center. at the 33rd pick, and they also made a signing in the undrafted market, as they always do, adding uh, Ron Harper Jr. out of Rutgers. And joining me to discuss this is uh, Oren Weisfeld of Yahoo Sports Canada, Complex Canada, basically everywhere. Oren, is there anywhere you're not writing these days? Um, anywhere, you know. Maybe the states. They mm. I haven't I haven't evolved to the states level yet, but I got Canada. I'm coming for the Canada coverage pretty well. Yeah. How yeah. was your vacation, man? Where did where did you go on the West Coast? Vacation was great. So I went to first. I flew to Calgary. Spent a, a two nice days in Calgary. Ran into a, a few fans of the show, which was tremendous. I uh, was at a very nice uh, Yemeni restaurant uh, in downtown Calgary. I, and someone he stood up from the next table and was like, you know, love the show. And I was like, this is great. Thank you. But also, can you tell me what to do in Calgary? And as everyone from Calgary kept telling me, it was like, yeah, um, there's nothing good in Calgary, which I thought was not true because I really enjoyed my time there. Then I went to Banff for uh, a few days, probably four or five days. It was very, very beautiful. Definitely recommend going to Banff. It's a little expensive, a little touristy, but definitely worth it, especially if you get out of the village. And then went from there to Vancouver. Covered Whistler. It was a really nice time to see the country. For anyone who is, you know, uh, blessed enough to be a Canadian, definitely go see the country. So, Yeah, speaking of your fans, first of all, you're the oh, first okay. person that's talked nicely on Calgary, which I've no, only it was heard nice. I, I really enjoyed Calgary. <laughs> you know, it was a vibe. Got on the, the, the little scooters they have there, scoot around the river, you know, the Bow River. Very beautiful. So... Yeah, speaking of your fans, I was playing basketball with some RR people, Lewis Zatzman, Aiden Moss, and um, we had a guy come up to us who's a big RR fan, and he was very upset with you and Alex because 
there was some contest you guys did with Nick Nurse British Basketball League, like the best story, I guess, you yeah. did. And he submitted something late. <laughs> and I guess he was upset about this miscommunication, but he sent us all the video he did. And I'll send it really? to you because he went really hard. And he's like a he's like a movie writer or a playwright. And, and so he just like, and an actor, I think. So he just made like okay. this incredible video about fake Nick Nurse stories. And he really wanted me to pass it along. Okay. You know what? That was all Alex. So first up, blame Alex. And second of all, I would love to check out this footage. I'm going to, I'm going to, I mean, Alex is literally chilling on a beach in Cancun right now. This guy hosted the show for one week and he literally <laughs> said one, two, three Cancun. It's amazing. Um, what a life he lives. And, uh, but yeah, when he comes back, I will make sure to find that footage because that sounds really good. But listen, Oren, we're here to talk about the draft. I know a lot of people are really excited. I, like, honestly, the way I would describe the NBA draft, I think to me, the feeling is like, it's like Christmas day or Christmas morning for all 30 teams right you just like wake up and you're gonna get somebody on your team and kind of arrives there for free and it's like a gift and you're like wow like look at this player that we're adding and getting really excited about it and you sort of hype it up and you everything like that um and and honestly like i I thought for me okay look the raptors have the 33rd pick maybe they'll move og and get the seventh pick or something like that but I i thought the chances of that were low but i guess there was that possibility but ultimately if it was like the 33rd pick like i didn't think anticipating uh, the kind of attention that Raptor fans would put towards that uh, a second round pick would actually be as intense as it was, which I think actually speaks to the maturity of the fan base and just like how invested people were. Like I saw so much hype and um, just investment poured into the 33rd pick, like the curiosity and the research. It was really, really impressive to see. And ultimately the Raptors ended up using the 33rd pick on Christian Coloco Um yeah, Orn, your first impressions. Because, look, you and I are not draft experts. That's why we have an actual draft expert coming on the second half of the program. Adam Spinella, we're going to go through um, the film and, and what he has seen and, and, the, and the scouting report and, and definitely will get more details there. But your first impressions of watching, uh, you know, the interviews with Christian. I know he just did uh, his media availability finally with the Raptors uh, media core. Your first thoughts on Christian Coloco. Yeah, well, I think someone said this on Twitter, but Masai Ujiri literally drafted a giant of Africa, which is amazing. Like, the story is is incredible. Mm-hmm. Same town as as Pascal Siakam, Douala Cameroon. So there's a connection there. The Raptors have been watching him since 2017 Basketball Without Borders, and he extensively talked about that during his media availability, just being like, the Raptors are the team that scouted me like for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And so he's really happy to to be there. But yeah, like I, I do think the story is great. Just basketball without borders kid, same town as Pascal, another international kid to bring to the Raptors and a guy with a lot of upside. Like you said, like I, I can't break down the film, but we can definitely talk about some some of the fit things with the Raptors. And first of all, like upside wise, he only started playing basketball seriously at 17. So five years ago. And he was a soccer player before that. Yep. Barcelona fan, Messi fan, he said. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. But uh, I mean, right off the bat, that's like an untapped potential that we've seen before. Chris Boucher, Pascal Siakam, also guys who are late to the sport. And the thing that stands out to me, I know this is a long winded answer, but you just look at like his box score stats from Arizona three years and literally every year you see a really significant jump across the board 
points per game, field goal percentage, free throw percentage, blocks, like assists, rebounds. Like every, he's gotten more efficient with more usage, which is just a really good developmental trajectory that, that yeah, it makes it kind of easier to bet on him. Absolutely. And, and I know, look, for a lot of people too, it's like, well, he's 22, right? Is that sort of the thing where that's one of the reasons why he might drop the second round because he's like, well, you know, He's a little older for a prospect, all this other stuff. I think to me, like, it, it, the age itself doesn't necessarily matter. It's really about the experience, as you're mentioning, right? Him coming to the sport late. And I think the fact that he's shown very consistent improvement over the three years he played, um, you know, it's very, very clear at the box score. And I think this past year, obviously, was a breakout year for him. Uh, he took home so many accolades. Uh, first team, all Pac-12. Uh, Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. Pac-12 Most Improved Player of the Year. And, of course, Pac-12 All Defensive Team. Um, yeah, I mean, th- this is, I think, one thing, it just definitely reflects his uh, hardworking nature. I think that's that's something that's going to be very, very clear, and it's something that the Raptors have always coveted in their players. Uh, there, there's this, a, this is a program that, if, it, if for nothing else, is built on a tradition and a culture of, like, getting better and a commitment to always maximizing your skills, and I think that he's going to fit that nicely. Um, now, okay, let's, let's talk about the fit, because usually... Yeah. When we're talking about a second round pick, right? Like fit is not something that even mostly enters the conversation a lot of the times. However, I think on a team like the Raptors, where again we have the vision six nine thing and everybody is a six nine forward, Christian Coloco is not a six nine forward. He's a seven footer, a genuine seven footer, right? Uh he's got a nine foot uh five standing reach. So to put that into perspective, that's around the same as like a Clint Capella, right? Um I've seen um, you know, in terms of his defensive abilities and sort of like the way he projects to fit as a defender at the next level. I've seen a lot of comparisons to like a guy like Nerlens Noel, uh, who was also a seven footer with a seven foot five wingspan. So let's talk about the fit there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, look, he, he's different from a lot of the guys the Raptors have, but is, is that on purpose that the Raptors kind of did this move? Yeah, I think so. Like, I, I think it's a significant pick because, you know, obviously it's number 33 and he's not going to come into the league and be dominant right away or anything like that. Like, not even many players who are picked this low have long careers. But I think it's a, it's a you know, significant pick because it says something about the Raptors roster building, which is that we've always speculated that, you know, the wing heavy stuff was more so out of, you know, making best of what they already had rather than this is what they're set on going forward Mm -hmm. and and to me this pick really shows that like they're admitting that they were missing some stuff on the roster last year when you look at rim protection a rim runner and rebounding those are three things that christian coloco already does well and i think are the reason that he'll probably play as soon as next season even though he's a second round pick and so it just kind of shows the their mentality is that like Yes, we like wings and we like length and mm-hmm. we like playing this aggressive defensive style, but we're not satisfied with only playing this defensive style. And that was that was evident at Nick Nurse's presser where he said, like, look, he can he can switch maybe decently well, but he's not a guy who we're gonna wanna play and switch everything coverage all the time. He's a drop defender. He's a guy that protects the rim. And so that's what's interesting to me is that they're kind of bringing in a new style with Christian Coloco because they're going to ask him to protect the rim and drop back. And that's just something they haven't had in, in the past couple of years. Yeah. And you know what? It's really interesting because um, when you sort of like look at the bigger picture in terms of um, 
the the trade rumors that were sort of um, been attached to the Raptors over the last like year or so. Basically, it's it's almost exclusively like the Raptors want a center, and they want defensive type centers uh, who could protect the rim. A lot of these centers that they were linked to traditionally play drop coverage. Maybe they don't always play drop coverage, but like they pretty much mostly play drop coverage and uh, are rim protectors in the style of what Christian is. And so um, it is funny that, you know, uh, you get linked to all these guys and, you know, me potentially trade all these pieces for these guys. And the Raptors just like, yeah, we can also just use a 33rd pick and get somebody up that profile. And of course, like I think playing next season, uh, if for a second round pick to be in the rotation for a playoff team within his rookie season would be a tremendous success. Uh, but it's also not out of the question. And and honestly, like, I think it's funny because when you think about what he does, right, like, it, it's a very straightforward kind of player. Like, I, I think, you know, I, I definitely will get more into the nuances with Adam, and I'm sure there's a lot more um, detail that, again, just fr- from the curse reviewer like you and me, like, it's harder to see. But, you know, we, we have a clip here from Christian Glocal uh, describing his own scouting report. This should expect me to give everything I have, you know, just give everything for I have. Uh, you know, the first thing I'm going to give to them is just my defense, you know, my defense, you know, just being that, that real protector, that uh, having that defensive presence, you know, me moving the way I move for somebody my size, uh, I think it's really rare and it's really rare and unique. And you know, just being able to switch on, to switch on guard and, you know, just the way the Raptors play, you know, they, they, they like that big, big lineup. And I feel like I can play with, uh, with whoever, you know, we whichever lineup, it's a big lineup, a small lineup. I think I can be there. Just if you have to switch, I can do that. And you know, offensively, just do whatever the coach want me to do. You know, um, whatever he want me to do. Like if he's setting screen, catch love. You know, having if want to have an open shot, uh, uh, take the open shot. You know, knock down a three or sometime. You know, just I'm um, just willing to do whatever it takes to win. Yeah. So I think even just from that clip alone, like he's very aware, sort of like what he is and what he's going to be in the next level, which I think, honestly, most of the conversations I've heard around this, um, either from from Nick, from from Bobby, obviously from Christian himself, it's like, it, it's pretty clear. They're very aligned in terms of, like, what his role is going to be. Um, you know, defensively, I think that's the part that, again, that's his strength. Um, uh, you know, there was something that Nick said as well, which was kind of interesting, where it's like, look, if if he's really, truly able to hold down and protect the basket. I think that really gives the Raptors even more of a license to be aggressive on the perimeter, which I thought was really interesting because, you know, you, you, the one thing you want to think is like, okay, well, he's not 6'9", you know, maybe it's not as switchable, whatever, blah, 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 blah. You play in drop coverage. Raptors don't generally play that much drop coverage, but um, having that extra element of rim prote- protection, like true shot blocking, where right? we're talking about a guy who, like at least at the college level, was just a phenomenal shot blocker. Uh, when you look at his per game totals it was 2.8 blocks per game in playing 25 minutes a game so you know uh i think the per 40 minute um number would be pretty relevant in a nick nurse system um but yeah four four blocks per game uh well, this over three seasons uh four blocks per 40 minutes for christian coloco but I, I think you know that element is interesting too like i, I think Oren, like does this almost offer more flexibility and, and sort of more matchups um, that the Raptors may be able to cover um, because of the fact that they have somebody who now does something unique. That That's something Bobby was also talking about. It's like, he is unique, and the Raptors were missing this element. And, you know, again, we're talking about 33rd pick. As I come in and as a rookie, he's probably not going to have this impact right away, or if he does, it'd be great. 
But down the line, if he really sticks and he continues to work really hard as he's shown to do so far, does that not give the Raptors more options defensively in terms of how they want to match up? Yeah, for sure. Like, we're talking about a specialty player. And I think that's exactly what they needed. And, like, there's kind of two sides to this when it comes to, like, all these rumors that the Raptors have been in for, like, these elite centers. And then, like you said, they just go out and draft one. Well, maybe all they need is a guy to play 10 to 15 minutes a night or in the playoffs, you know, a guy only to play maybe one series significant minutes or two series significant minutes that, like, really fits that style of play because it it does feel like the the switch everything wing heavy defensive style is still their primary nick nurse had a comment in that press conference last night saying if what we're doing is not working now we have this different option that we can go to so Mm -hmm. it's not like the raptors are about to revamp their whole style but i do think it's really like a good value play i guess you could say to where they're drafting a guy who can just be a specialist come in there 10 minutes a night maybe play some drop coverage if you want to give the guys like a little bit of a less physically taxing style to play for 10 minutes a night um and and just protect the rim do it he does really well and then like over the years he'll have some some potential to develop ball skills and and maybe grow into a bigger role but for for the foreseeable future he's going to be a specialist and yeah like that's exactly the type of specialist that the Raptors need in order to be more versatile mm-hmm. and to play, to be able to play different matchups and, and be able to succeed against different teams. I think we really saw that they were missing that last season. And so I'll be interested to see how they approach free agency because, you know, another thing Bobby said was that like we try to treat the draft independently of free agency. Mm. We don't have really high expectations for these guys. So do they go out and get another kind of drop big uh, who can maybe fit in even in sooner? Or do they instead prioritize shooting right. or guard play in, in free agency? Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I think that's um, that gives the Raptors a, definitely a lot more flexible. Because, look, listen, if you're going to bring back Thad and Chris Boucher, which I don't think this really affects that at all. Um, no, I think it affects Cam Birch. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean... He becomes I, I, more expendable, I think, in, I in the be, sense... I, I don't want to be rude, but th- I feel like that was... Uh, the, I, he was already, ex- like, uh, at least expendable in, in that sense no, already. He right? was, so. but I just mean, like, he was playing, you know, in the playoffs, like, five, ten minutes a game. True, true. And yeah. And, yeah. and I could feel... I could see, like, as soon as next season, Coloco doing that. Yeah, no, fair enough. No, fair enough. Okay, that'd be really good, honestly, honestly. I, I think that would be... Like closer to a best case uh, outcome for his rookie season, but we'll we'll get more into detail on his game in the second half here. I, I think I want to talk about. Um, so there was so much talk about OG Anobi potentially getting moved and what is the value of OG and what's the long term prospect of OG and all that stuff. So the the rumor that kept coming up was that Portland really wanted um, OG Anobi, um, and I think that was made very clear by uh, Chris Haynes uh, putting out the report the night before the draft um i think yeah i mean look chris haynes is one of the most plugged in people in the business um i think especially to a guy like dame lillard who he covered locally uh in portland um he's just traditionally historically has shown a a great line of access to 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 dame Uh, and so 
you know, obviously Portland is trying to do everything possible to rebuild around Dame, and OG was sort of like part of that plan, and they were offering the seventh pick. Now, the seventh pick ended up being Shaden Sharp out of Kentucky, although technically not really out of Kentucky because he really didn't play there. But, um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, Canada. It, yeah, and thinking back on that deal, like, is that something that you would have felt like you would have wanted to do? Is that is Was that a trade that kind of made sense? And, um, yeah, what do you think about the OG trade, I guess, not made? Yeah, to me, it never made any sense to trade OG for seven. Like, I just think OG is a lot more valuable than seven. A, B, Shaden is an extremely risky pick who could turn out to be great, but could also turn out to be nothing. And C, like, there's no indication that the Raptors want to take a step back and mm. be worse next year in order to be better in the future. Like, right. they believe in their player development, but they believe in their ability to develop the 33rd pick, right? Like, they don't want to be a lottery team in order to be good three, four years for now, which is kind of what Sharp is. Mm -hmm. You know, the only way it ever made sense to me was that there was a report that like OKC was looking to get Sharp. And and then I could see a three-way deal where OG goes to Portland, the seventh pick goes to OKC, and then a man named SGA goes to Toronto, something like that. Like a ready-made player makes a lot more sense to me for OG rather than the seventh pick in a draft. Yeah, but I mean, again, like even even uh, like a hypothetical framework like that, I, I think Shea's worth a lot more than just a seventh pick. Oh, for sure, there would be multiple picks going there. Yeah. Yeah. So, and honestly, at this point, I'm not actually like I think OKC might have reached like critical mass in terms of like okay, we have like too many picks, and so I don't know if like they're just gonna be like yeah, if we get like three picks for them, I think we'll do it. Like, I, I think they have so many picks that like there's a diminishing. Uh, uh, return on, on a lot of these picks that they have but uh yeah i mean i agree with so much of what you said there that's the thing too it's just like if, if they were ever going to entertain this deal we sort of like to rebalance the roster in a, in a way which honestly i don't even think that necessarily og moving on in this sort of hypothetical scenario would have rebalanced the roster i mean a he's like one of the three three-point shooters on the team genuine a very 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 good three-point shooter has shown an aptitude to improve only thing is just like he wasn't healthy last year and that was obviously frustrating um, but uh, he's highly sought after for a very good reason. And if you were going to move him, you would have needed to kick that second, seventh pick to a third team, as you mentioned, and, and got somebody in. Who knows? I mean, I'm sure those conversations are out there. I think, I think Bobby said in this press conference that the night of the draft, an hour into the draft, they didn't get a single phone call. So, mm-hmm. like, whether that's true or not, um, you know, I, I think that does kind of illustrate, like, okay, a lot of things get discussed but not necessarily everything kind of comes to fruition. And um, it really depends on how much of it actually reaches like actual news cycle itself, which a lot of the time is sort of like um, a game, really. It's like team directed. Like you can see, for example, like Portland put like a big public press, a uh, full court press on on potentially acquiring OG and everything else that kind of might, might have also sort of played into that. But ultimately he remains a Raptor. The Raptors did not move him for the seventh pick. And uh yeah, I think, you know what, listen, um, his fit on the team is something we could probably continue to discuss in the summertime, and Oren, we'll definitely have you back on to talk about that. Um, but before I let you go, um, Canadians in the NBA draft, so we had, what, four go in the mm, draft last night? Four in the top tw- 32. Yeah, Ben Matherin, sixth overall to Indiana, Shaden Sharp, seventh overall to Portland, Andrew Nemhar, 31st to Dallas, and Caleb Houston, uh, 32nd to Orlando. Uh, your quick thoughts on just like how each of those four guys fit with those uh, those programs that they've ended up with. 
That's tough. I mean, first I'll say that I'm it's it's always like reaffirming when Canadians shoot up these draft boards late, which pretty much all of them did, yep. maybe except Shane and Sharp. But all these guys were projected to go lower than they actually ended up going, which kind of shows to me a lot like that just Canadians are consistently overlooked. And, you know, they play like one year in college, but because they aren't scouted as much at the young, at the earlier stages they're often just like overlooked until they get to the combine and stuff like that and show off and then teams are like oh this canadian kid's really good so i feel like it did reaffirm that with them all shooting up up the boards yeah um portland i don't understand what they're doing because they're trying to build around dame but they're also taking the most like you know, risky prospect in the draft who's not really ready to contribute to winning by all accounts. Um, so I, I can't really speak on that one for Sharp. You know, I'm happy for Matherin really happy because for beautiful moment. It sounds time. like, yeah, he had a great fit. It's a, it sounds like um, Malcolm Brogdon is out of there. So I think there's like a lot of touches to be had. I think the Pacers are a pretty decent organization who like to be in the playoff mix at the very least every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm happy. It, there could have been worse fits, a.k.a. the Kings, for him. So I'm just happy right. that he didn't land on the Kings. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really happy for Nemhard as well. I, I know that, like, even leading up to the draft, I think, like, I brought his name up as someone who could potentially be in the mix for 33, and I thought that that would be a really interesting fit. Andrew on the Raptors. Um, and, you know, at that time, I was seeing projections of, like, some places I had him going undrafted, which did, really did not make sense to me. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, based on what Nick Nurse said uh, in terms of, like, when Andrew came in to work out for the Raptors, he apparently he said it was basically flawless, and he wasn't surprised that he, you know, ended up not even being available at 33 because of the fact that, um, you know, he's had such great workouts, right? And so he goes to a great organization in Dallas. No, he's uh, actually going to Indiana. What, he's going to Indiana? Yeah. Okay, that's a lot of guards. That's a yeah, lot but, of guards. Yeah, but Brogdon's out of there. Uh, but they have... I, it sounds like. But they also have... Uh, Halliburton, yeah. Halliburton. They have Duarte. Duarte can play off the ball more, I guess. But yeah, it's a lot of guards. Okay. But uh, right. I'm curious if the Raptors would have drafted Nemhart if he was there. That is definitely a what-if for me. Me too. Because I know yeah, Nick has had... A close eye on him, obviously, for a long time. Obviously, you know, him from being from Canada, the Raptors have had a close eye on him. But Nick's literally coached them in, in competitive yeah, he games. Made the, he made the senior national men's team in 2019. Yeah, so, like, not many youngers. Yeah, like, not many people that young make that team. And Nick Nurse obviously chose him to make that team. So that's mm-hmm. significant. But, uh, hey, I'm, I'm happy with the center. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Orrin, thank you for joining us on the show once again. When are you going on vacation, by the way? I thought you... I just came back from vacation. Ah, that's... Man. We didn't even talk about I will that. Be, I will be working uh, this July. Gotta gotta re, re-up the bank account. But yeah, Global Jam, I hope to see you there. I will be there. I'll be there, my friend. All right, thank you. All right, thanks for having me. All right, this being Friday, we also wanted to uh, give our Friday shout-outs. Usually given by Alex, but obviously he's lying on a beach somewhere, probably reading six or seven books, which is usually what Alex does when I'm on vacation. He just sits by himself and reads um, nonstop, which is uh, kind of nice, actually. But, uh, yeah, so our Friday shout-outs, always shout-out to uh, Derek, Jennifer Olnick, producer Rob, Ryan Fabro, Kyle Crabe, uh, JR, Greg Sansoni, Pat Flash, I think, 
Alex is better at doing this portion. I'm sorry. I guess I just don't have a lot of thanks to give him in me, unfortunately. But uh, we also got to thank the guests who came on the show this past week. Samson Folk, a.k.a. the next one up at Raps Republic. Wes Brown from the Money Morning Scouting Report. Raphael Barlow of NBA Big Board. Jama Mahalela, the NBA champion from Scarborough. Sam Vecini, a.k.a. the king of draft Twitter. Orm Weisfeld, who writes some of the best features in Canada. Adam Spinella, the boxing one who, for my opinion, makes the best draft videos on YouTube. Uh, invaluable resource. And we're going to speak to him right after this. And, of course, Nick Nurse, the musician, the coach, the philanthropist, the uh, renaissance man. Um, yeah, what a, what, a, what a guest list. Great job by Blake. And uh, and producer Jr. and, and Derek for for making all this happen this week. But for us, we're gonna take a quick break. I'm your host Will and Lou, and you've been listening to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with JD, Blake, and Alish. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm your host, Wayne Moon. And as promised, for the second segment, we are joined by draft expert Adam Spinella of the Boxing One, who uh, I've spoken to in the past. Uh, you know, uh, you know, he's just a great resource on the draft. Adam, thanks for joining me on the program once again, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for uh, for having me here. This is turning into an annual tradition, uh, a day or two after the draft where you and I get together and talk about some of the selections made by the Toronto Raptors. A little less exciting this year as opposed to what we saw last year, but uh, still a lot to, to unpack here. Yeah, for sure. No, seriously, thank you for being so generous with your time. Honestly, for people who don't know already, like, I mean, you probably already are familiar with Adam's work because if you are at all interested in, like, the draft prospects and I think the best videos for me are like the the old sort of like Draft Express style videos where it's like here are some here are lots of clips uh, pulled from a very trained eye and sort of some observations sort of shared about the player. These draft scouting videos are like I think the absolute lifeblood of people who cover um, the draft because to be honest, like ninety percent of the, us and I'm definitely including myself firmly in this group like don't watch enough college basketball or international basketball or whatever even high school basketball to to sort of know. Um, and so if you search for, you know, the, you know, the Raptors drafting Christian Coloco or Ron Harper Jr. On, uh, off the uh, undrafted market, and we'll cover both of those guys in depth, you will see Adam's videos pop up for you on YouTube. And I'm telling you, they're the absolute best ones there to get familiarized in terms of like the little details about their game that uh, we haven't seen. So let's go into that. Uh, so Raptors take Christian Coloco 33rd overall um, per 40 numbers in his third season at uh Arizona were spectacular. Uh, 19.8 points per game, 11.5 rebounds per game, 4.3 blocks per 40, uh, shot 60%, uh, 63% from the field and 73% from the foul line. Um, yeah, can you give us sort of like the quick rundown of sort of what the Raptors uh, fans can sort of expect from Christian Coloco and why they liked him at 33? So he's a, a big man who really does a little bit of everything pretty well. I mm. wouldn't say that there's one major skill that he has that you know, blows every other big man prospect out of the water. He's a good rim protector. You see that by his 4.3 blocks per 40 minutes, finishes efficiently at the basket. A lot of that comes more through power off the pick and roll and lob plays and 
just being so so big and, and strong on the interior. Not a ton of touch right now, but mm. that can be developed a little bit. Uh, you know, a decent assist total number for a guy who's more of a big man. And more than anything, I think the Raptors were impressed by his general demeanor and his trajectory. Uh, you mentioned a really good third year here at Arizona. It was a major step forward from where he was as an underclassman. And a lot of that, from what I've been able to tell, came out due to the coaching change that was made there at Arizona. Tommy Lloyd, who was a former assistant at Gonzaga, came in and took over for Sean Miller. And the coaching change, the way that they were able to connect and reach Christian as a human being, Mm. I think allowed him to tap into his strengths a lot more. And that's the major reason we saw such a a big step forward. That's a very interesting note. And I'm definitely going to try to connect with his coach um, to sort of discuss his season, um, uh, you know, and just his progression overall. Um, Okay, so, you know, it's interesting because... when you watch a lot of the other analysis of Christian, I think probably a lot of people are sort of like too guilty of this, uh, especially come time with the draft, sort of like you put people in a box, especially because it's like you don't know this guy yet. So you sort of like compare him to like a style of player. And to me, it seemed like, okay, in this case with Christian, it's some, it seemed like it's he's a guy who is going to protect the rim. He's going to play drop coverage. He's got great size, got pretty good mobility. Um, for a guy who is seven feet and has like a nine foot five standing reach and seven foot five wingspan and, you know, he seems very committed on that end defensively and will rebound for you. Like, in your mind, you automatically sort of, like, snap to, like, okay, this is a type of player I've seen before. I'm going to put him sort of in this box mentally. But you kind of mentioned that he does a bit of everything. So what are some of the things, aside from the fact that, you know, he's he's he's, he's blocking shots or um, finishing lobs and stuff like that, like, what are some of the other nuances that, you, that sort of stand out to you in terms of, like, maybe there is, like, obviously that's the core of what he might do. It might be even the core of what he might do over the course of his career in the NBA, but there may be more avenues and more spots in his sort of game that uh, that the Raptors can look to sort of accentuate down the line. Sure. So I, I think, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to bring up Tommy Lloyd and the head coach there at Arizona is he runs a, a very college-based system that plays two big men at the same time. Mm, okay. And there, there, are, there are pros and cons to that, right? So... You know, Coloco doesn't always have as much room on the interior to make plays when he's catching the ball within four or five feet of the basket. A lot of times guards suffer as a result because the lane is always packed. But what we were able to see from Coloco is the slightest bit of playmaking touch from the perimeter because when he catches the ball atop the key, Arizona has another big man in there that's sealing inside the paint looking for a high-low pass. And Coloco showed decent touch in being able to make those, those decisions Again, not necessarily translatable to the NBA as a playmaker in the same ways that you might look for out of the pick and roll where, you know, we talk about short roll playmaking. You know, a guy like Fred Van Vliet draws two defenders out to him far above the three-point line. He gets a pocket pass down to the screener. Can he make a good decision four on three? Mm -hmm. It's a little different from what we saw this past year from Coloco, but in general, you know, decent passing feel there. Um, I, I like his polish as a drop coverage big man. I think a lot of times big men come into the league and they need to be completely refined and retaught how they play angles, how they communicate, what to do when uh, somebody's coming at them and it's a kind of a a one-on-two situation. So uh, what I really grew to like about Coloco this year at Arizona was how, how good he was at angles in that regard. I think that he does a great job of taking away that pocket pass to a rolling big 
and forcing the ball handling guard to really be be funneled towards the short corner, an area where you know they're limited in options and they're not necessarily going to score effectively at the rim. So uh, a lot more polish than you find out of a lot of big men, which you know I, I hate talking in terms of floor and ceiling all the time with these guys. Mm-hmm. I think that's an, an over an overdone part of analysis, but because you already know he's good in those angles, it does raise his floor in terms of defensive impact. Right, and I think that really does stand out because I think, um, you know, for obviously the eye-popping stat is how many shots he blocked. Like, you don't even got to go per, you know, 40 minutes. You could just go per game, and he was already blocking 2.8 shots per game last season at Arizona. So um, that's obviously the one that's, you know, eye-popping. But I think, you know, when it comes to something like blocks, I, I am also a little bit suspicious because sometimes, like, if you got a guy who's, like, hunting for blocks or, like, you know, I guess, like, Hassan Whiteside is probably the guy that immediately jumps to mind of guys who sort of, like, jump at everything, obviously has the, the ability and the length and the physique to block a lot of shots, um, but also at the same time might sort of, like, overplay for the block. I, what I really liked from watching your videos is, like, there's a lot of instances where he's just guarding really well using verticality. And the, the fact that yeah. he is taking these good angles and these good paths. And when you're looking at playing drop coverage, a lot of the time you're, you're, you're basically playing a cat and mouse game because two guys are coming at you at the same time, both coming downhill. And it seems to me, at least based on the, the clips that you pulled, that it's like he's got a really, really good sense of this to the point where I'm thinking, well, okay, look, the rest of his game probably needs to come along more, obviously. It's, we're talking about a second-round pick, but could he be somebody that, you know, plays in a certain matchup for the Raptors even as soon as like next season yeah and and I think you know you mentioned with the cat and mouse game that's where he's great he's not going to be a Hassan Whiteside type of guy that's just going out there and chasing blocks left Mm -hmm. and right you know I mentioned earlier he's he's good at a lot of things I don't think he's great at one thing rim protection is is probably his best trait right now but he is not coming into the league with like a Rudy Gobert-ish type of upside or ceiling to be just this elite shot blocker or something. He's good. He's very, very good. Uh, and the analytic models based on, you know, on-off stats last year at Arizona really trended to show how vital he was to their defensive impact. But when I say he's, you know, he's not great at, at one specific thing, the reason he is a very good selection here is because he's good at so many other things. He can pass a little bit. He's a solid finisher, you know. He, he does communicate on defense. He's a little bit more mobile than he gets credit for. Not a switchable big, but if he has to switch onto a guard for one possession, he's not going to be automatically toasted. So uh, like there's, there's a little bit of hope that he can move his feet when he absolutely has to. So, uh, you know, instead of focusing on what exactly is going to be his calling card at the next level, I think this is a really safe prospect to come in there and say, you know what, if, if we need to play – a little bit more of a true big man uh, for some minutes for whatever matchup purposes. He's going to be big enough and strong enough to play that position, but he doesn't concretely tie us down to one specific style of play. Right. And I think that is really interesting because I, I you know, when you think about, okay, so Arizona obviously played him in a drop a lot of the time. It made a lot of sense to play him in a drop, honestly. Right. Um, but the, the Raptors as a whole, at least just based on what I've seen the, this past season of them, um, didn't play a lot of drop. Now, I think that probably has a lot to do with their um, roster construction. It really didn't make that much sense to play in a ton of drop. If anything, if you're playing a guy like Precious Achua at, at the five, who's six foot eight, it has tremendous foot speed. 
by all means, switch a lot. Be aggressive. Bring your bigs up to the level of the screen. Trap above the three-point line if you need to. Like, you had the, the personnel to do that, and that probably was the best look for you. I mean, the Raptors are starting Scotty Barnes at center a lot of those possessions. Definitely put Scotty Barnes wherever you need to on the floor. You can definitely get to all the spots. But I think also having this sort of uh, different identity, I think, will really maybe help. And I think one thing that Nick Nurse mentioned uh, that I want to get your thoughts on, Adam, is just, like, having that actual true level of rim protection maybe allows you to be even more aggressive elsewhere uh, in terms of the other four positions. Do you sort of see that as sort of like, again, like, you know, keeping in mind, this is a second round pick, you know, this is a rookie, like we got to relax a little bit, but at the same time, like if it all pans out and if he is as as good at protecting the rim um, in the NBA as he was uh, at Arizona, like does that not sort of give the Raptors another sort of look to, to sort of cover a a lot, a lot of different types of matchups? No doubt about it. I think that Nick, obviously Nick Nurse is way smarter of a basketball mind than I am. So, uh, you know, if he says it, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and trust him mm-hmm. in that regard. But it, it does check out uh, merit-wise. And, and, you know, I think the idealized version of Coloco is as a, a rim protector who really can defend and drop coverage as a good weak side shot blocker. And, yes, that does allow all of the toolsy, athletic, long Raptors perimeter defenders to be a little bit more aggressive there to – to switch on the perimeter and not worry about somebody slipping to the basket because they have Coloco behind them. Uh, And to get that type of guy who, you know, a lot of people had a first round grade out there on Coloco to get him in the second round provides really good value, not necessarily uh, because he's not a top 30 talent in this class, Mm. but because a lot of times if you have a four year contract to hand out or you're, you know, you're going down that developmental path a little bit more, in the first round, you're not looking at those typical bigs. Uh, that's just the way that the game has trended. More versatility, more shooting, more uh, you know, length and perimeter skill. So I, I think Coloco falling 33 is not an indictment on who he is as a prospect, just the position that he plays. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you mentioned roster construction. I think the Raptors are trying to build a team of as many long, versatile, switchable type of guys as they can. But there are going to be matchups when you can't win that way, or at least when you need to be able to have a bigger body out there to defend a post player, to do whatever it is that they need to do to protect the basket. And you close with those smaller lineups with multiple switchable, versatile guys. So I would think that Coloco, not necessarily going to be a guy that's on the floor in the closing moments of games, even at, at his peak. I would think that the Raptors and the way that they're trying to build this roster would prefer to have Siakam and Barnes and, and different guys at the four or five combination. But you need somebody like this on your roster. He's as dependable of a rookie as you're going to find in that regard to come in and give some minutes right away. And when you look at the growth trajectory that he was on over this last year at Arizona, you can still talk yourself into saying, you know what, he's going to continue to get better as he gets more polish, as he gets more reps, and the right developmental system that the Raptors definitely have is going to bring him along. Absolutely. And um, real quick, actually, just on, on, on his offense, because we have we talked a lot, obviously, on the defensive side of the ball. If, if there was one thing that does concern me and I did watch the because you're very fair with the, the you know, your, your draft videos, like you get to see both the good and the bad. And I saw a lot of bad left handed hook shots that kind of yeah. were not really going anywhere. Is, is the scoring touch a concern? Because he did obviously finish very effectively. I think he shot like 73 percent around the basket, which is awesome um but at the same time that's a lot of lobs and when you're talking about when you're not just 
you know, finishing with two hands on a lob or rolling to the rim or anything like that, um, is the touch a bit of a concern for you? And honestly, can you teach touch? So the touch is a little bit of concern. The second question is, is a fascinating one. I still have no idea how I would answer that. Right. Um, yeah, I've been trying to wrestle with that for years as a coach myself. How can you teach touch? I think you could just give guys repetition and hopefully the light clicks on at some point. Uh, yeah, the left hand is definitely not there right now. A little bit of a low finisher when he meets contact. Like for as, as big of a body as he is, I think he could stand to fill out and add a little bit more strength to his core and his lower body mm-hmm. because when he gets contact to those areas, he doesn't explode through it. He kind of moves uh, to the side or around it. So I think that that's an easier fix. And once that happens, you know, and he adds a little bit more strength to his lower body, he's going to be able to, or at least we're going to see if the touch is more about just natural lack of feel with his left hand or around the basket, or if he's correcting some of those issues that allow him to improve in that area. Um, you know, offensively, like it, it, the NBA is a different type of game. There's a lot, a lot more space on the mm-hmm. floor than what he dealt with at Arizona. So this may be a little bit of a non-issue because now those rim attempts that he was taking with his left hand, there were extra bodies in the lane, which caused him to do that. Maybe now he takes one bounce and gets to the rim pretty cleanly right. and his rim numbers stay incredibly high. Okay. That's good. All right. Well, listen, we still have about four or five minutes here to talk about uh, Ron Harper Jr. Um, who the Raptors added through the undrafted market um, out of Rutgers, 22 year old. Now, I saw that you had him at 30th on your big board, and obviously he went undrafted. So clearly it's a guy you really liked. So what did you really like about him? Yeah, I had Harper uh, somewhere in the, I think, the 30s to maybe early 40s range. Okay. Um, he's He was somebody that a year ago I had my eye on as a potential sleeper second-round pick. The swing skill for him was going to be shooting the basketball. Right. He went back to Rutgers this year, shot 39% from three. So... Uh, he's definitely worked on that and, and gotten to the point where he can be a scalable role player in the NBA. He is built like a freaking tank, man. Yeah. Uh, this 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 guy is incredibly strong, and with that, checks the boxes like we were talking about earlier with roster construction of being able to guard multiple positions and do a lot of different things. Super long arms with a seven-foot wingspan, but that strong frame and body mm-hmm. where he can guard down low against some of those bigger guys who mismatch him. So there is upside to be able to guard one through four. And, you know, we talk a lot about versatility on the defensive end and our mind automatically goes to switching. Yeah. Right. Um, if, if you guys watched the Boston Celtics, Milwaukee Bucks series, you saw Grant Williams come in and do a fantastic job against Giannis Antetokounmpo, not necessarily in locking him down, every single possession, but being so physical with him that by the end of that series, Giannis was pretty worn down with Mm -hmm. all the things that he's asked to do. That's what Ron Harper's idealized upside is going to be in the NBA. That big physical body who can knock down shots from the perimeter is a decent enough ball mover, can attack the, you know, the rim when he's run off the three point line, like offensively, he'll be a good role player, but if he can come in and just physically go at those other stars and guard them one-on-one, now Scotty Barnes isn't doing that. Now Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, whoever else is really going to be a, a key offensive cog is not playing that role. Right, right. And and listen, I, honestly, the film on him is very impressive. I really enjoyed watching the bully ball stuff. Um, you know, 
his one-on-one creation and maybe even shot selection, I think in a lot of these clips, I feel like, okay, these don't look great. And as you sort of highlighted in your breakdown of him, it's like, you know, if he's not hitting the three in a lot of these one-on-one matchups, I, obviously I think that that's probably not going to be something that he's going to be doing that much uh, at the NBA level. But again, like that's not probably not going to be his role. Like the, I think the path to him, and I think that's probably my question to you, is just like, how does he go from the it being a two-way right now to eventually signing and converting his deal and getting a full-time contract? And if there is one bankable skill, one bankable transformation that he really needs to make in his first year, what is that skill? So it's probably going to be about being an efficient offensive player to the point where he can just stand in the corner, spot up, and hit threes, rebound and run a little bit in transition, play up-tempo. Uh, you know, for as, as solid of a defender as he is, he's not incredibly active in passing lanes in ways that, like you're talking about with Coloco, mm-hmm. being a little bit more active or aggressive on the perimeter. I don't know if Harper fits into that necessarily. He's pretty safe and secure, which is not something you always see from a guy with his physical tools and a seven-foot wingspan. But uh, I think for him, you know, being really ready, if you're a young guy and you want to make it in the NBA, there's always two things you can do as a role player. One is shoot the basketball from three. And the other is be really polished with your help defensive rotations. And if Harper can show right away that he's ready to do both, then he can grow that role from a two-way into a standard NBA contract and eventually be a guy who's in a playoff rotation for the Raptors. Okay, great. Adam, thank you so much for your time. Everybody go check out everything you do at the Boxing One, but especially the draft videos. I'm telling you, honestly, most people have already seen it. That's the thing, Adam. Like, it's like... Your stuff is so good. It's so reliable. The, the sheer volume, I don't know how you do it on top of all the stuff that you actually do with your coaching. Um, so, yeah, thank you for your time, and uh, I'll probably call you again next year when the Raptors uh, draft another uh, incredible defensive athlete. Um, let's make this a tradition. Let's do it. All right, that does it for us today. I'm your host, Willu, and you've been listening to the Raptors show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Make sure you find the Raptors show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe, and please rate and review our show. Thanks again to Oren and Adam, our board producer, Derek Brandale, Jennifer Rowling, for helping us with YouTube stream. I'm back on the show next week and going forward. And, uh, yeah, everyone have a great weekend.